stray bullet mystery solved. For more than four years, Vancouver Police Department investigators have worked relentlessly to solve Alfred's senseless and tragic murder. The innocent teenager caught in the crossfire of a gang shootout and the new charges laid. A taste of freedom. After the mask mandate comes off, we're gonna ask people to remain kind. Businesses prepare for the change to COVID restrictions expected just in time for spring break. And an epic road trip to take emergency aid to Ukraine. I think the greatest challenge we're going to have is encountering Russian forces. The B.C. veteran leading the humanitarian mission. You're watching Global B.C. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is on assignment. The investigation into the death of a teenager killed by a stray bullet from a gunfight took a dramatic turn today when police announced they finally laid charges. 15-year-old Alfred Wong was in a car with his parents when the bullet came through the window. He died later in hospital. Catherine Urquhart has more on what it took to make an arrest. Alfred Wong was just 15 years old when he was gunned down while riding in the back of his parents' car near Broadway in Ontario. The aspiring lifeguard and electronic engineer died days later. Now, following a four years long investigation, Vancouver police have laid charges in the case. This was a long and complex investigation which took some of VPD's most experienced homicide investigators to secure and gather evidence. These investigators interviewed hundreds of witnesses and processed thousands of exhibits. It was January 13, 2018, when Wong was struck by a stray bullet as gunfire was exchanged between gangsters. My parents and I will always love him dearly, and his death will leave a void in our hearts. 23-year-old Kevin Whiteside was also shot and killed that night. Police have long believed he was in the area to carry out a hit. Kevin Whiteside was in the area to allegedly kill 28-year-old Vancouver resident Matthew Navas-Rivas. Now charged with two counts of second-degree murder is 26-year-old Ontario resident Kane Carter. He's also charged with discharging a firearm with intent to injure and aggravated assault for shooting a third person not seriously hurt. This person has been arrested and we're in the process of bringing them back to Vancouver. Alfred Wong's family has released a statement saying in part, We hope that Alfred's death will be a catalyst for change in combating gang violence in the greater Vancouver area and that going forward there will be no more similar incidents. As for King Carter's first court appearance, that's expected to be determined once he's back in B.C. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. And a former star of the filmed in B.C. series Riverdale has pleaded guilty in the death of his mother. 23-year-old Ryan Grantham pleaded guilty to the second-degree murder of Barbara Waite. Back on April 1, 2020, her body was found inside her Squamish home by a family member. Grantham is scheduled to be back in court for a sentencing hearing in June. Second-degree murder carries an automatic life sentence with no parole eligibility for at least 10 years. Officials in B.C. are expected to make a significant announcement tomorrow about easing COVID-19 restrictions. Other provinces have already released a timeline for lifting mask mandates and vaccine passports, and B.C. will likely be next. Richard Zussman shows us what to expect. 
It is part of the daily routine for many. Put on a mask and get on board. A routine that could soon change. I believe that uh, this is uh, a choice for every people. Some people have like COVID symptoms, so it's difficult for like other people. On Thursday, Dr. Bonnie Henry will announce a timeline on when all current COVID-19 restrictions could end. This will include the current requirements for masks in public indoor spaces and a decision on when the vaccine card will no longer be required. I understand um, that there is um, um, that there is a desire. Uh, to move away from orders. The retail sector says there are concerns people will drop masks Thursday, even if the decision is to change the rules down the road. They are also supporting workers and customers who want to keep wearing masks even when no longer required. After the mask mandate comes off, um, we're going to ask people to remain kind. Uh, we are going to have employees and customers who are going to want to wear masks. And we want to be supportive of those who, people who choose to wear masks. The BC restaurant sector is also watching very closely on both vaccine cards and masks. The industry largely supporting dropping mask mandates due to a drop-off in COVID hospitalizations and a high vaccination rate. Where there's disagreement is how long the vaccine card should remain. It does provide an assurance and it's not a big deal. I mean, just think of the last time you went to a restaurant, they check your card, it's simple. And so if that stays for a while, then I think that's a good thing. The province will also be providing a review on restrictions in the K-12 system and at post-secondary institutions, as well as long-term care homes and the healthcare system at large. The measures um, uh, that uh, will be taken tomorrow by Dr. Henry are based on our best evidence. And, uh, but, you know, uh, the pandemic doesn't end tomorrow. In Ontario, masks are going away in public and at schools on March 21st. But not until April 27th on public transit and in the healthcare system. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, let's take a look at our latest COVID-19 numbers for today. We have 405 people in hospital. 58 of those patients are in the ICU. We've seen 14 more deaths recorded due to complications of the virus. And we have 274 confirmed new cases. Numbers have guided us all along. Keith Baldry joins us now with a closer look at why we seem to be in a pretty good position mm -hmm. to lift some of those restrictions. Keith, the situation obviously has been improving. It's been improving for some time now, Chris, and the improvement is actually startling. You look at almost a half dozen health indicators, uh, we've cut in half uh, of the statistics associated with COVID-19. First of all, take a look at the hospitalizations. The number of people testing positive in hospital right now has uh, been cut in half since uh, a similar date one month ago, 30 days ago. So hospitalizations are at 48 a day, down from 103 uh, 30 days ago. The ICU numbers on an average at 68 a day now, one 141 was the number just 30 days ago, so that's an impressive decline as well. Deaths continue to decline. Even though we saw 14 today, we're down to six average a day, down from 11 uh, was the daily average a month ago. The test positivity rate, again, very telling, we're down to almost 8%. Now that's less than half of what it was, 17.4% uh, on December 8th. And the daily case numbers continue to drop big time. We're not testing as much, so obviously we're not picking up as much, but that positivity rate shows there's far less Omicron 
Omicron out there. So every health indicator is trending positive here, which is why we're set for relaxation of restrictions tomorrow. One final indicator, Chris, the number of people phoning 811 has declined significantly. 3,500 people phoned 811 seeking health advice and COVID-19 information on February 8th. Yesterday, 1,500 people. So less than half of what we saw just a month ago. Everything's looking pretty good, which is why I think we're going to see restrictions lifted tomorrow. All right, and full coverage on BC1 and our regular channels as well. Thanks very much, Keith. Two years into the pandemic, small business owners say they are still struggling and some are ready to throw in the towel. The provincial government says it will continue to support them, but many wonder if that support includes relief from the record high gas prices. Grace Key reports. At Studio Faux Bloom on Commercial Drive, owner Maria Altic says flower prices have gone up during the pandemic. Getting a loved one a rose used to cost you $5 a stem. I'm lucky if I can sell them for $7 a stem. $7 a stem is a good week. Now skyrocketing gas prices are chipping away at our bottom line. We're fully reliant on shipments, cargo, delivery drivers, and our own vehicles to get around everywhere to pick up and transport the flowers. According to the Canadian Federation of Independent Businesses, two-thirds of businesses are in debt, averaging a quarter million dollars each. One in seven are thinking about bankruptcy or permanently winding things down. What is in government's control right now is keeping costs down. That comes in the form as a, of ensuring property taxes remain stable, not increasing those, not increasing uh, the carbon tax come April 1 as one example, as well as just ensuring that policies from government are not introduced new costs to small businesses at a time when they can least afford it. The Surrey Board of Trade is not only calling for an immediate pause on the provincial fuel tax, but also a comprehensive BC tax review. All of the taxes that businesses are being faced to pay, uh, you know, what are some taxes such as the PST uh, that could be eliminated to reduce administrative burden? The province says BC has the highest per capita business supports in the country, adding there is some concern when it comes to lowering gas taxes. We've seen jurisdictions like Alberta lower their tax, uh, and then the very same day at the pump, the price goes up even more than the tax that they lowered. So many other small businesses have just caved and closed throughout all of this. And ga rising gas prices is just one more thing that affects the bottom line of everything. Some small businesses estimate it'll take two years to fully recover from the pandemic. Grace Key, Global News. One of Metro Vancouver's fastest growing neighborhoods is getting a major upgrade to its SkyTrain station. TransLink is set to begin almost $33 million in improvements to the Brentwood Town Centre station in the coming weeks. That includes a new elevator and two new escalators and more fare gates. The work will mean the south entrance will be closed for about a year with the overall completion set for 2024. Brentwood station is the busiest on the Millennium Line with about 6,000 boardings a day. As Russia's attack on Ukraine takes a brutal turn... A B.C. vet is willing to put his life on the line to get much-needed medical supplies to Ukraine. His plan to drive a loaded ambulance, maybe three of them, into the war zone in just over a minute. A Facebook message from a friend that turned into a financial nightmare. Scam victims speak up later on the news hour. And being great at one thing is admirable, but being great at two things is even better. The dual delight of donair nuts in our This is BC segment coming up later. 
Right now, though, Ukrainian uh, President Volodymyr Zelensky, who has been very vocal with his country under siege, is condemning not just the Russian invasion, but NATO as well for not declaring a no-fly zone over Ukraine. That's after Russian forces were accused of bombing a children's and maternity hospital in the city of Maripol. Aaron MacArthur has the latest. Panic in Mariupol. Russian bombs targeting a children's hospital and maternity unit Wednesday. Dozens of people dead. The wounded carried out as frantic calls on the radio were made for ambulances. The latest assaults on Mariupol, part of an ever-growing humanitarian crisis. Russian troops have had the city on the Black Sea cut off for days. Residents say there is no electricity, no running water, no heat. Red Cross volunteers can be seen attending to people trying to take refuge. This volunteer says there are no basic resources here at all. Russians just have for 400,000 people as a hostages, and there now there's carpet bombing of Mariupol. Russian troops are being accused of firing on evacuation routes out of the city. The Ukrainian president condemning the attack and demanding Russia stand down to allow people safe passage. <laughs> Russian bombs continue to fall across the country. But ground movement is being slowed by Ukrainian forces supplied with weapons from NATO. Humanitarian corridors have remained open for a second day in the city of Sumy. The UN now estimating half of the more than 2 million refugees are children. 14 days into this invasion, Ukrainian leaders are warning people the situation will only get worse. The expectation is for Russian troops to ramp up their assaults on the country's biggest cities. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A B.C. man is teaming up with two other Canadian Forces veterans and a man from the U.K. to make a remarkable donation to the Ukraine defense effort. As Romina Dea reports, they want to donate ambulances full of supplies with a plan to drive them right into the conflict zone. Canada Border Services officer Chris Kettler is packing for a risky mission in Ukraine. A heavy decision not lost on the father of two. It's terrifying. That's my greatest fear is that these poor boys will end up growing up without a father. But Kettler, a former Canadian soldier who served in Afghanistan, says he's compelled to do what's right. What if they were my kids in Ukraine right now? Is the way I look at it. What if they were there? What would I do to get over there and help them? And why do we treat other people's children any different? The focus, getting aid to civilians in Ukraine. Kettler and three good friends, two Canadian veterans and a former British military medic, working on securing three ambulances in the UK, loaded with medical supplies. More than $30,000 raised in donations. Everything that we raise will be spent um, on this trip for us to get uh, in. 
get those resources into people, help out when we can, and then for us to get back. With the help of contacts on the ground, Kettler's crew will drive the ambulances from London through France, Germany, and Poland before hitting Ukraine. We have already matched up to $5,000 for Chris, so we thought we were making a direct impact by helping the people of Ukraine through Chris Kettler and his group of friends. Simple stuff like tourniquets, Israeli bandages for major bleeds. The goal, to deliver aid, not fight the Russians. Returning to his boys, a priority. But Kettler says he's willing to stay if the people need him. Come hell or high water, we're going to make this happen. It's not about governments, it's not about politics, it's about four guys getting some equipment together and getting it in the hands of people that need it. Romina Dea, Global News. Coming up, the startling discovery of Shackleton's lost ship. Doesn't get any better, it is a beautiful wreck. More than 100 years after it went to the bottom, what researchers are saying about this amazing piece of nautical history. And new partners in natural gas, the deal that gives First Nations an equity stake in one of BC's biggest projects. It's a busy commute, but things are easing off here. Northbound 91A headed to the Queensboro Bridge in New Westminster. Not seeing any delays for southbound, which is always nice as you make your way down to Highway 91. Through a new charitable partnership between Kermat Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermat Collision and Autoglass, you also support Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. In Global One above the Queensboro Bridge, I'm Amber Belzer. Children cannot learn when they are hungry. Food insecurity also affects their mental health. That's why Global News and the Grocery Foundation are partnering for Toonies for Tummies and nourishing children in countless communities. Donate today to Toonies for Tummies in-store or online. A number of First Nations have become part owners of a controversial pipeline in northern B.C. 16 out of 20 have signed on for an equity stake in the Coastal GasLink project, a deal that could be worth millions. But as Ted Chernecki reports, this still doesn't ensure clear sailing for the energy product project. Last month, masked vandals attacked a worksite along the coastal GasLink pipeline near Houston, B.C., causing an estimated $6 million in damage. Any future vandalism could be an attack on First Nations property, as several elected bands have agreed to purchase a 10% share of the entire project. How they'll pay for it has yet to be determined. It will probably be TransCanada or... Uh, a government agency that provides the investment dollars that are required. In the past, hereditary chiefs and some First Nations people of Wet'suwet'en have been strongly opposed to the project, saying it doesn't have their consent to proceed under historic Indigenous law. But of the elected bands, 16 of 20 of them have agreed to buy in. You know, we respect the other uh, communities that are on the pipeline and their decision not to participate in the project. So we've... Um, opened it up for those that are willing to participate and that would like further information on some of the benefits that can flow into their communities. Coastal Gas says last month's attack had nothing to do with this announcement as it's been in the making since early 2019. It's about more than just, you know, the financial ownership in it. It's also about having that that seat at the table and being partners um, and, you know, having that say in what's being developed on their land. The 670 kilometer long pipeline is about 60 percent built with a completion date set for 2023. But if the sale does go through, they'll inherit not the greenest of pipelines. To move all that gas from Dawson Creek to Kitimat requires compressors that could be powered by electricity, but are not. The whole TC line is natural gas driven compressors. 
if you had electric compressors, your greenhouse gas emissions would be close to zero. So on one hand, you're offering First Nations participation in this project, yet on the other hand, the province of British Columbia, which regulates it, is doing a terrible job in terms of environmental impacts such as greenhouse gases. First Nations could soon be at the table, hopefully helping steer decisions to their benefit. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Most members of the Shakin Indian Band have finally been allowed to return to their homes following November's destructive flooding in the Nicola Valley. But seven families are still under an evacuation order. As Nitu Garcha reports, they say more than three months later they feel forgotten and aren't sure if they'll ever be able to go home again. The atmospheric river can seem like old news to a lot of people, but for us, we're not out of the woods yet. More than 100 days since the storm struck, Lenora Starr is still out of her home. And as she drives back to the Shacken Indian Band Reserve to support those who've recently been allowed back, this is what she sees. As the snow is melting, we're seeing the true impacts and all of the debris and all of the damage that's been done to the landscape. A landscape already charred by summer wildfires forcing evacuations amid a pandemic and national reckoning around residential schools. It's really trauma upon trauma upon trauma upon trauma. Star's home is among seven still on evacuation order with no safe way to reach those properties after the only access bridge broke off and the big concern now is a repeat of a major flood with warmer temperatures melting the snowpack. I worry about what's going to happen in spring with freshet and if it's going to wash those homes away that are on the south side. It's more of a shock than I thought it would be. All the dead trees with their roots still on. Cars, there's refrigerators, there's tubs. Shack and band councillor Yvonne Jo is also still evacuated from her home on lands only their horses have roamed since residents like her were forced out. My grandparents... Um, their blood, sweat and tears are on this land and it's, it's just really sad to see that um, we aren't here. As the province prioritizes repairs to key highway infrastructure, it's also promising short and long-term support for First Nations, including in the event of future emergency response by upholding the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. That legislation uh, that will recognize you know, uh, uh, First Nations as equal partners uh, with us in, uh, in, in the, uh, the new Emergency Program Act. We will be working very closely with the Shack and First Nation and with the federal government in ensuring that there are the supports for those people. We're trying to survive still. We're not thriving yet. Nitu Garcha, Global News. Coming up, a senior who lost nearly her entire life savings. I work hard for my living and then there it goes. I have to pay back. The friendly message that turned into anything but. And an expert panel says it's time to treat the toxic drug crisis like the emergency it is. It's still a very busy commute, leaving the North Shore eastbound on Highway 1, seeing delays between Lonsdale and Lynn Valley as you make your way down the cut, headed towards the Ironworkers Memorial Bridge Deck. Westbound Highway 1 looks great through the Cassier Tunnel on the approach, headed to the North Shore. With BCAA car insurance, it's easy to renew from anywhere. From ICBC Auto Plan renewals to exclusive savings, visit BCAA.com today. A warning tonight about those free cash offers you might see all over Facebook. They will ask you to pay out money with the promise of getting a larger amount in return. 
They're scams, of course, but they are so enticing that a lot of people still fall for them. Global's Sean O'Shea has the details. Because I'm a senior and then I work hard for my living and then there goes, I have to pay back. Scammed on social media, Angelita Malixi is paying the price for giving her trust on Facebook to someone spoofing the identity of a friend, saying she was entitled to nearly a million dollars in COVID-19 assistance money. A friend of mine won a grant and he wanted me to claim it myself too because he saw my list, my name on the list. That fraudulent friend used social media and phone messages to get payments for so-called expenses. And Angelita sent installments, much of it coming through her line of credit. First time, 10000 then 50000 then 67000 then 56000 Her daughter, Charlene. Probably the first four days is when they... Um, got the most from her. Schemes like this one are all too common and frequently target older people. In this case, the money was sent through a Scotiabank account into Scotiabank accounts elsewhere in the country. Police told us in at least one of those accounts, the money is still there. The other Scotia client is saying it's their money. So they're saying we've already used it. That's already our, that's our money. And the bank isn't returning it. You saw where the money came from. It's fraudulent, but you don't want to refund the money. The detective investigating the fraud said it's all too common. Banks taking a hands-off approach in cases like these where consumers were conned. The bank's unwillingness to return at least some of the money still in those accounts, a frustration. I lost my confidence. I'm not going to that bank anymore. No banking anymore with that, with that bank. Sean O'Shea, Global News. Surrey RCMP are asking for some help finding the suspect in a number of indecent acts near a Newton school. Last Wednesday, a man was seen exposing himself in the bushes near Princess Margaret Secondary School. Police say the man has been seen in the same area doing the same thing three other times this year and once last year, always between 8.20 and 8.30 in the morning. He's described as a South Asian man between 30 and 40 years old with a medium complexion, about 5 feet 10 inches with an average build. Anyone with information should call Surrey RCMP or Crime Stoppers. A Burnaby investigation into stolen cell phones has led to the discovery of a large cache of other suspected stolen goods. While looking into the theft of $10,000 worth of cell phones from a business in Metrotown, RCMP identified a suspect with a significant property crime history. When they searched his home, they found the stolen phones and nearly a hundred other luxury items such as jewelry, clothes and electronics, many in their original packaging. Investigators are now trying to figure out where they were stolen from. Two lawsuits have been filed in the case of two men killed in a workplace accident on Gabriola Island claiming wrongful deaths. Chris Straw and Mark Doré were working at the construction of a home last March when the boom of a concrete pump truck collapsed, landing on the two men. Both of them died at the scene. The two lawsuits are alleging the concrete truck was damaged in another incident months before and should have been replaced. The claim names a number of contractors and concrete companies in the suit. A family statement on behalf of the victims alleges the tragedy happened because of a, quote, sequence of poor decisions and actions. None of the allegations has been proven in court. Following month after month of record deaths due to toxic drugs, 
A panel of BC's top medical professionals is joining the call for a government-backed, safer supply of drugs. And as Imad Agahi shows us, the panel is calling on the government to use emergency powers, just like it did during the floods and pandemic. Well, her name was Nicole, and she um, died on September 5th, 2021. I mean, the ongoing grief, it affects everything. It affects your physical health, your mental health, your sleeping habits. It's impossible to feel any real joy. Georgina Tweed wants justice for her daughter, Nicole, whose life was ended by toxic drugs. And what makes it even tougher is knowing that even since she died in September, there's been how many hundreds more? Since being declared a public health emergency in 2016, more than 8,800 people have been killed by toxic drugs. It is now the leading cause of unnatural death in BC and accounts for more death than homicides, suicides, car accidents, drownings, and fire combined. The number one recommendation from 23 of the province's top minds in medicine, healthcare, and social service is this. A well-thought-out model of regulated, monitored, and accessible safe supply of drugs for those at risk. If we're serious about saving lives, then we have to think differently about this and, and we have to meet people where they are. The report also calls for extraordinary action by the province, throwing resources at this crisis just as it has with COVID and the recent climate disaster. If we use some of those same uh, levers, emergency powers, I do believe that um, uh, this could really make a difference. This is an palpable issue for them. It's not good election material. That's what I think. Georgina Tweed says her daughter struggled through most of her life, but always wanted to get better. Sadly, that opportunity was snatched away. Amaragahi, Global News. And another health note for you, a warning if you've purchased a certain spice from a store in the metro town area of Burnaby. Fraser Health and the BC Centre for Disease Control have issued an alert about Wing Hing brand sand ginger powder. It may contain monk's hood which can cause nausea, vomiting, dizziness, heart irregularities, and in the worst cases, death. The powder was sold in 70-gram packages at Wing Hing Trading Company in the Crystal Mall. Two people who consumed it last month ended up in hospital. If you've purchased the ginger powder, you are urged to discard it immediately. And still ahead, meats and treats. We thought at first it might seem a little weird doing donairs and donuts out of the same trailer. Weird and as it turns out, the BC partnership that started up in the pandemic later. And perfectly preserved the startling condition of one of the most important shipwrecks of the last century. Watching Global News Hour at 6. Bring in uh, Christy here now with a look at the weather forecast. And for anybody who's solar powered, boy, the sunshine in the last little while has really recharged the batteries, hasn't it, Christy? 
That's for sure. And good job if you are have your house solar powered, for example. Uh, Chris, you know, temperatures today warmed up to double digits, 10 degrees. That's seasonal for this time of year. But I have to admit it was chilly and you likely felt the chill with that northwest breeze. I'll show you the temperatures in a second. But first, here's a quick look at some of your photos as you are, were out enjoying that blue sky today. And this one from West Vancouver. By the way, I counted. We have exactly 11 days until spring, so it's not too far away. This one from Sydney uh, area near the Victoria Airport and this one from Chase. So temperatures today, as I mentioned, double digits in Metro Vancouver, but a lot of other areas only eight or nine degrees. And in the interior, certainly much cooler. So three in a Kelowna, for example, is about four degrees below seasonal. And there was that wind as well to make it feel even colder. And look at Williams Lake, only warmed up to minus four. So it's certainly still winter and it will feel that way tonight. We are going to plummet to minus one in Metro Vancouver. It'll feel a little cooler than that with the wind chill as well. And through the interior regions, you can expect it to feel very chilly. Tomorrow, we once again have that northwest flow. It's going to make it feel cooler. And the difference for tomorrow is that we're going to see a little bit more cloud cover. That takes us into our Friday where we start to see the potential for moisture. But tomorrow, for the most part, for southern BC is looking dry. We'll just see a bit more cloud cover. But definitely feeling cool. You'll need to take a jacket with you tomorrow, especially if you're headed out early in the morning. So a high of nine degrees is not too bad in Metro Vancouver, but as I mentioned, with that breeze, it'll feel colder. You'll notice a flake on Friday. I want you to just be aware of it. I'm really not worried about it, but just be aware. We could see some flakes before it warms up, but mostly it's Saturday that we're expecting rain. And don't forget, we change our clocks on Sunday as well, Chris. Tonight's Central Windows weather window comes to you from Squamish. This was last night. In fact, Jill Crop, our uh, old colleague, uh, sent me a photo of this as well. And it's sort of a multiple rainbow around the sun as it was setting. What it's created is by the uh, ice crystals in the air with it being so cold as well as sort of that high level uh, cirrus cloud sometimes has that ice crystal and then it creates this refraction that you see in terms of the color there. So thanks to Tim for that great shot. That is beautiful and very unusual. Thanks a lot, Christy. All right, they have been looking for an awfully long time, and finally that search for a sunken ship has come to a successful end. Researchers have discovered the final resting place of endurance, a vessel lost during an epic voyage to the South Pole more than a century ago. Global's Kyle Benning shares the remarkable images and the significance of this discovery. It was a discovery more than 100 years in the making, this time using tools which were unheard of at the time endurance could endure no more. But the discovery of Sir Ernest Shackleton's ship was a treat for the crew who set out more than a month ago. You can see the the ropes and the rigging, uh, it's as if it sank only yesterday. Shackleton, a British explorer, was sent to the Antarctic by his government in the midst of World War I. He set out to make the first crossing of the continent from the Weddell Sea to the Ross Sea, but the elements far too strong, with Shackleton calling the waters the most treacherous in the world. The crew on the Endurance 22 mission able to see the vessel thanks to this underwater search vehicle equipped with a camera. The state of pressure preservation is unbelievable. You can see the paintwork. It's, it's as good as that. It doesn't get any better. It is a beautiful wreck. Endurance was found more than three kilometers below sea level and more than six kilometers south of where the captain recorded its position in 1915. 
The fact that it looked untouched, not surprising for underwater archaeologists. Marc-Andre Bernier says the water temperature and oxygen levels help keep organic materials intact. And this is why this is so interesting, because you do have captured on the seabed really a, a moment that that um, that really is a testimony of you know the exploration of the poles the wreck is a historic site and is protected so no organic materials can be collected but the crew will continue to survey and gather images of endurance and this moment putting an end to one chapter in history there's still so many things to explore and and this is just an example of of the the, the wonders that are undersea and perhaps opening others. Kyle Benning, Global News. Just amazing. All right, Squires here with sports. It's incredible what they can do with the help of technology to get that deep down into the ocean and poke around. Well, remember when they found the Titanic? Right. How deep that is, although that's getting eaten alive down there by mm -hmm. microbes and such. But still, finding it was incredible. It was. All right, big uh, game night tonight? It is a big game tonight. Um, the Canadians and Canucks are going at it at Rogers Arena. And unlike earlier in the season, Montreal isn't the have-nots anymore. They can skate, and uh, they're getting better goaltending, and uh, they're having fun. The Canadians have won seven of their last eight. Like the Canucks, they have responded very well to a coaching change. Well, speaking of having fun as well, the tasty pairing that became a hit during the pandemic. Why everyone is raving about this Nanaimo food truck. Coming up. Sophie is at an event tonight, so she can't see Squire Sports. So she's missing Maybe. all the fun. Wow. Yeah, she is. Maybe she's at the Canucks game. I don't know. That would be an event. I don't think That it would is. qualify as an event. <laughs> I don't think it is. Uh, seven in a row at Rogers. That's the Canucks schedule, and for them... Let's hope it's a lucky seven. It starts tonight against Montreal, a team that will not make the finals like it did last year or even the playoffs, but they are playing way better now than they did earlier in the season. In fact, the Habs come into this game having won seven of their last eight. And in that stretch, they've beaten St. Louis, Toronto, Calgary, so good teams. But the Canucks also beat Toronto in its last game. They beat the Rangers on that recent road trip where they went 3-1. and one. So both of these clubs are riding high. Let's go down to Rogers Arena and hear more about tonight's game, where Jay is standing by. 25 games left on the Vancouver Canucks schedule, and it's sure looking like every single one of them has significant meaning attached to them beginning tonight against the Montreal Canadiens. Vancouver opening up their seven-game homestand, and they are still very much in the playoff hunt. They begin play tonight, six points back of Vegas for third in the Pacific, and five back of Dallas for the final wildcard spot. The calendar may say it's March, but from here on out, it's grind, grind, grind. I think you know tonight uh, should be a statement game for us, and and kind of you know, like you said, kick things off on the right foot of what uh, of what we should be doing here um, in these in this homestand. I mean, you got to take advantage of uh, of stuff like this where you get last change and and your home crowd behind you, and we got to rally with that. No lineup changes for the Canucks. Thatcher Demko starts again. Tonight will mark his 46th start. Only two other NHL goalies have started more games than Thatcher Demko. It's also worth noting that from here on out, it's going to be career highs for the number of games between the pipes for Thatcher. The guy loves the workload. He can't get enough practice time in. Finding ways to keep him fresh is going to be key for the Canucks heading down the stretch. When I had went to Anaheim, we played Hiller 31 straight games. And... We just, after about 12, we stopped practicing them. 
who are playing every second day anyway. And I think something like that could probably happen with him. He's been phenomenal for us all year, obviously, um, making key saves at, at key times of the game. Uh, the Toronto game, he made those unbelievable saves at the end. I mean, you just if you're going to go far in the playoffs, you're going to make a playoff push and have a good hockey team, you've got to have great goaltending, and we're so lucky to have him. And I've never had uh, a goalie that wants to put in as much work as he does. I mean, uh, to come out every morning half an hour before, uh, it's uh, unprecedented for me. I mean, I've seen guys that want to come out 10 minutes early and 5 minutes early and 15 minutes early on occasion, but not on a consistent basis like him. We've all seen how much better the Vancouver Canucks have played under new head coach Bruce Boudreaux. Canadians fans are witnessing the exact same thing with Marty San Louis behind the bench. The Habs are winners of seven of their last eight. And keep your eyes on Cole Caulfield tonight. The rookies found his scoring touch under San Louis. Caulfield, seven goals, seven assists, 14 points in 11 games since Marty San Louis became the Montreal Canadiens head coach. With your ringside report, Jay Janor, Global Sports. Now, yesterday, of course, the big news was Russell Wilson getting traded away by the Seattle Seahawks. They also released linebacker Bobby Wagner. So two legends of the Seahawks gone on the same day. Releasing Bobby Wagner did save Seattle $16.6 million in salary cap. And with free agency coming up, the Seahawks right now have about $51 million, a little bit more than $51 million under the cap to spend. Only the Chargers and Colts have more money to spend on free agents if they wish. Washington traded two third-round picks and swapped second-rounders with Indianapolis for quarterback Carson Wentz. Washington actually did try to trade for Russell Wilson, so Wentz is kind of their consolation prize after he played last season with the Colts. Let's check out some uh, boys' 4A basketball action. Burnaby South, Lex Paloma, a nice basket here. They won their game over Claremont, 94-62. Abbotsford and Fleetwood Park, this was a good one, close. Abbotsford got off to a good start. They were the favorites here. They are ranked 6th, Fleetwood Park 11th. But look at the move here by Isher Singh Sarai. Spin to win, 76-71 over Abbotsford. And PSG and Real Madrid, Champions League action. PSG won the first game 1-0. They actually were up 1-0 in this game. Should this have been a foul? Paris Saint-Germain thinks it should have been, but Karim Benzema gets the goal. That makes it 1-1. He would score three in this game, two in two minutes. This is the first of those two in two minutes. And with this uh, win, they move on to the next round in Champions League, and so did Manchester City. China still has the most medals at the Paralympics with Ukraine second. And uh, one of Canada's seven gold medals won today by the great Brian McKeever in para cross country sprint skiing. That is his 15th gold medal all time and 19th time on the podium at the Paralympics going back to the 2002 games. He's still winning medals at the uh, age of 42. We can't say all the scores in basketball because there's a lot, but the other 4A winners so far today, St. George's, uh, Walnut Grove, and Kelowna. So there you go. All right. Thank you very much, Squire. And next, the culinary phenomenon of Nanaimo, known as Donair Nuts. Don't go away. The middle of a worldwide pandemic is hardly the ideal time to launch a new business, but one Nanaimo food truck has managed not only to survive 
but to thrive since opening. As Kylie Stanton shows us, the secret of Donair Nut's success is an unlikely combination of flavors. Mmm, savory. So good. Or sweet. Oh yeah, that's what I'm talking about. It's a well-known fact, people tend to have a preference. But what if... Six more? You didn't have to choose. Like the flavor combinations, it's now churning out... Oh, maple bacon. This business was born of two very different ideas, coming together as one. We thought at first it might seem a little weird doing donairs and donuts out of the same trailer, but uh, it's definitely worked in our favor and definitely something for everyone. In a matter of months, Donair Nuts has become one of the most sought-after food trucks in the city of Nanaimo. Come for the last three weekends. Oh, yeah. yeah. They're following on the streets, amplified online, where the duo posts their daily locations and new flavors, bringing everyone along for the ride. I remember us watching uh, it go from 100 followers to 200 followers to, oh my gosh, we made 500. Yeah. Now it's you just can't keep up. <laughs> and all of this achieved in the midst of a global pandemic. Despite the challenges, Donair Nuts has managed to expand its menu while networking to grow its reach. Oh, it's just as good as ever. So good. I'm so happy for them. What was meant to be a one-year trial run, now in such high demand, there's no turning back. It's a great response. It really makes us happy. And that's why we do this job. Mm -hmm. and, and when, you know, you hand something to... And you see the little kids' eyes light up. So good. It, it makes it makes all the hard work worth it for sure. Kylie Stanton, Global News. <laughs> My advice is get that thing on the next ferry and get it over here to 7850 Enterprise Street. That's <laughs> that's what they should do. It's a very when you think about it, donuts are a very versatile snack. It's true. Many things you can do with a donut. Dough cooked in fat. The possibilities are endless. Seems simple, but it's very versatile. <laughs> That's true. Last word on weather before we go here, Christy. Sure. So enjoy this sunset because, you know, in a couple of days' time, we're going to be changing our clocks and it's going to be a lot brighter this time of night. Uh, enjoy. It is going to be cold tonight, but uh, tomorrow's still another dry day on the way. Nice. All right. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great night.